today being the Sunday after Ascension Day, we appropriately hear the story from Acts that describes Jesus being lifted up before his disciples' very eyes. Up he goes, feet disappearing into the clouds, swallowed by heaven until they can't see him anymore. Most art through the centuries dramatizes this scene. The swirling skies is billowing roads, those below gaping upwards. But what you never see are depictions of what happens next. I don't mean the two men in white robes who suddenly appear and say, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus will come back in the same way you just saw him go. No. I mean the slow dispersal of the group. The wandering back down the hill. The tears shed at having been left behind yet again. Painters prefer the dazzle of ascension to the mundane picture of loss and grief. Because remember, these men and women had just lived through the murder of their teacher and Messiah not 43 days before. They'd been bereft for three days, uncomprehending, until the resurrection miracle walked through the closed door of that upper room and found them. The same room tradition holds, where they had gathered for the Last Supper on the night before he died. It is from that room that Jesus speaks in today's Gospel reading, offering what's called his High Priestly Prayer in John chapter 17. After he's washed their feet, given them a new commandment that they love one another, and instituted the Eucharist in the breaking of the bread. Jesus prays for their safety. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. Tradition also holds that this same upper room is where they now repair, repair to, after his ascension. How painful it must have been to return to those four walls. We ate with him at this table on that fateful Thursday night. I was sitting right there when he walked through the door that Sunday night and showed his wounds. We got him back for 40 days. And now he's left us again. Left with promises of the Holy Spirit's coming to empower us, but no timeline. In less than seven weeks, they're pierced with grief a second time. And all they know to do is wait and pray. Nothing to paint here, folks. Today marks 69 days since lockdown in California. All we know to do is wait and pray, like we do in today's comment. Do not leave us comfortless, but send us your Holy Spirit to strengthen us. The disciples waited nine days before another miracle found them in that upper room. Will ours take nine months? And to what will we be born after that nine-month gestation period? Today marks more than 97,000 deaths in this country. How many more will die? 
In this morning's epistle, Peter insists, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is taking place among you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you are sharing Christ's sufferings, so that you may also be glad and shout for joy when his glory is revealed. Okay, but when? How long must we remain in this waiting room, praying and suffering and hoping? Today is the 11th Sunday. We have not worshipped together in this place. I know that's painful for so many of you. You miss the echo of our prayers and music in this sanctuary. You miss hugging your old friends at the peace. You miss receiving Holy Communion. Miss the sense of belonging, of connection to God. You have been deprived of the sacred rituals that once grounded you here. And now, this week, we can no longer celebrate the Holy Eucharist. So much has been stripped away. Now, this is the moment when I'm supposed to say, it doesn't matter. Church is not the building. It's the people. We're together in spirit. We're still family, even if virtually. And our community transcends distance. That's all true. But to say it right now feels like trying to intercept the very real grief we are feeling. To head it off at the pass. To offer it the box of Kleenex so as to avoid the discomfort of tears. And I'm not doing that this morning. It's painful to live in this liminal place of anxious uncertainty in the world and in our church and in our lives. So my spiritual counsel to you this morning may not seem very uplifting, but here it is anyway. Let yourself grieve. Just for a little while. Cry if you want. And if you haven't shed tears in these 69 days, it might do you some good to let it out sometime this week. There are plenty of reasons for doing so. Maybe you've held back on tears because you're protecting yourself against a deeper despair. You don't want to go there. But in some ways, now is a good time. Our church calendar even gives us permission to feel a sense of barrenness in these nine days between Ascension and Pentecost. And if that's not enough incentive, remember the song from Free to Be You and Me, that 1972 children's film sung by six-foot-five-inch NFL football star Rosie Greer called It's All Right to Cry. It's all right to cry. Crying gets the sad out of you. It's all right to cry. It might make you feel better. Raindrops from your eyes, washing all the mad out of you. Raindrops from your eyes. It's going to make you feel better. It's all right to feel things, though the feelings may be strange. Feelings are such real things, and they change and change and change. 
Many young people we know are graduating in the coming days or have just done so. They too have been deprived of their rituals, their rites of passage, of transition into the next phase of life with ceremony. This feels especially poignant and painful, I think, to us older folks. Maybe because we've all been through our own graduations and remember how bittersweet those last few months of school really were. And that was when we could be together with our friends. So we have some idea of what's been lost. It may, in fact, feel more tangible to those of us who don't know anyone who has died of this coronavirus to think about the loss of these students. Some parents have told me stories of their kids bursting into tears or falling into a mild and weeks-long depression. So I know I speak for all of us when I say, my heart goes out to you who are graduating, you teenagers and you young adults. It's not fair. Please know that your church family loves you and we hold you in our prayers. We are proud of you. And we know you will get through this time and find new friends, new learning, new joy. But for now, it kind of sucks. All I can offer by way of consolation are these words from Thomas Merton, the Trappist monk and writer, applicable perhaps to graduates, but also to us all in these hard times. You do not need to know precisely what is happening or exactly where it is all going. What you need is to recognize the possibilities and the challenges offered by the present moment and to embrace them with courage, faith, and hope. Hang in there, dear ones. A few years ago, I watched a terrible HBO series, The Young Pope. I won't go into the ridiculous plot. Suffice to say that Diane Keaton plays a body nun. But I did hear a phrase on the show that has stayed with me and may be useful for us in these times. Absence is presence. The idea that by being deprived of something or someone, we feel the effect that they or it had on our lives even more keenly. Absence is presence. Jesus had to go so that strengthened by the Holy Spirit, we could fill that seeming void with our own ministry and carry on his work. His final words to the disciples are, be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Had he stayed, we would not have grown into our own strengths, but would have relied on him to heal, preach, and teach. By departing, he remains with us, stronger than before. Obviously, so for every Christian who never even met him in the flesh. Absence is presence. We cannot be together in the sanctuary for a while, and maybe a long while. That leaves a dull ache in many hearts. But the pain is also a wake-up call 
to how much St. Luke's actually means to us. Let's be honest, many of us, myself included, took this community for granted, assumed it would be there week in and week out. And the poignancy you feel when we are together virtually is partly from finally realizing that you love this place, these people. We are together still. I truly believe that, even right now, especially right now. And when we see one another in person someday, the lessons we learn from absence will make the prayers more meaningful, the music more joyful, the hugs more dear. Absence is presence. You who are graduating may carry some pain with you for a while, but its sharpness might ultimately make you love your time in high school or college that much more for having lost its final months. Not adequate compensation, I know. But so many of us older than you never really looked back after that first post-graduation summer. And in a weird way, maybe you will carry those friends you're leaving behind with you more deeply and for a longer time. So I invite you to grieve this week. Stay grounded, but cry if you want. We will remember this time. We will give thanks for a new life someday. We will hold on to what we love even more strongly for having been deprived of it for a time. We will pray for those who have died with more fervency. And we who live will appreciate every breath we take. I close with a prayer of Franciscan blessing meant particularly for our graduates. May God bless you with discomfort and easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that you may live deep within your heart. May God bless you with anger and injustice, oppression, of people so that you may wish for justice, freedom, and peace. May God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in this world so that you can do what others claim cannot be done. God bless us all in this time of reading. Amen.
It's alright to cry, little boy. 